I think we lost our feed there. Ryan, I think uh, we hit the wrong button. There we go. You got it. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for being here this morning. What a great day it is to be here. Uh, and sometimes we, I, I don't know, during communion, it's just, uh, Shannon, thank you for those words. And then it just hit me that, that Barry was going to sing that song as we, partic- or as we were partaking of communion. And uh, there was no, there was no uh, planning there. That was just the Lord being out in front of it. And so uh, sometimes you just, whew, I don't know, probably a lot more than we can see. God's gifts are always out in front of us. He's always out in front of us. And we're thankful for that. But uh, glad that y'all are here. Grab a Bible, grab the app, open it up, follow along as we continue into week three of our Words of Life series. I want you to imagine that you're in the hunt for a new job. And so you're looking through the want ads. It wouldn't be in a paper probably, maybe so. But in the today's world, maybe you're online looking for a job. And you come across some ads that look like this. Maybe you're a teacher. You got that early childhood education degree. And you see something that reads like this. Elementary teacher needed. Strong communication and leadership skills required. Be proficient in teaching techniques. Connection with students and working with parents. Computer skills a plus. Must be righteous. Or how about the oil field? Oil field tech wanted, hardworking, willing to work long hours, must be technically and mechanically minded, willing to work with others in a sometimes stressful and unstable environment. Righteousness is a requirement. Or maybe you're a teen and you want to head up to Perryton and apply at McDonald's. Needed McDonald's cook. Must be on time, willing to learn, and ready to be trained in the McDee's environment. Decent pay, good benefits, opportunities for growth. Righteousness must be displayed. No hamburglers. All right. Now, 90% of those want ads, we would go, yeah, that's, of course, normal. But you would never see those last lines. Righteousness. Righteousness being a requirement of work. In fact, even in our culture today, righteous or righteousness is a word that's fallen out of use. It's uncommon. It's a little bit probably old school. It's a word that can sound to your ears maybe a little bit preachy. Definitely a little King James-esque. It probably falls in your mind as a religious word. But I got to say this morning, as we get started in week three of our Words of Life series, that it's a little disappointing that righteousness has fallen out of use because this word is powerful. This word is a great word. It is a word worth exploring, it is a word worth knowing, and it is a word worth growing into. It's why we're calling it a word of life. May we discover this morning what righteousness is and how it's bestowed how it's given, and how we, in understanding it, can have our lives completely changed. Let's pray this morning. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. As we open your word today, as we explore 
this idea of righteousness. May you, who sits on a throne of justice and righteousness, come and be among us as you already are. May we have our eyes and our ears and our hearts open to you. May you work among us. And may you send us out together to follow you for the sake of others. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're going to get Bible nerdy for just a minute. And I apologize for those of you that don't like Bible nerdiness, but that's what you're going to get. Because we've got to explore this word. And to get into exploration mode, we've got to kind of dig into Scripture. And we've got to understand what righteousness is. So in ancient Hebrew, this word is the word that's pronounced zedekah. And it's a word with depths and layers. I think it probably helps to use the analogy or the metaphor of tributaries or streams heading towards a river. And so zedekah, or righteousness, is a word that has three tributaries leading into a large river of depth and meaning. Originally, this word is not a religious word. Zedekah isn't tied to just religious acts. It's a word with a concept behind it that comes straight from Genesis chapter 6. First time Zedekah ever appears in Scripture is Genesis 6 verse 9 to describe Noah. Noah was a righteous man, a Zedekah man, blameless among the people of his time. In other words, the word is a common word in the ancient world to describe a man who lived or behaved in a way that had a standard and best benefited others. Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, is a man clear of fault, living in an uncommon way in comparison to what was common. Maybe today a good substitute for Zedekah or righteousness would be, we would say Noah was a person of integrity. In other places throughout the Old Testament, righteousness builds on this first stream of integrity in places like this. There's Zedekah if you want to see how it's spelled in English. It's described in the Old Testament as somebody of pure heart. Proverbs 20 and verse 9, who can uh, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Zedekah, or innocence. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. Well, what kind of righteousness? Right? According to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Psalm 18, 24. Or in fairness, gives us a little bit more meaning. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. Righteousness that equals equity, Psalm 9-8, or injustice. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. I'm sorry for that one being repeated there. I didn't get that copied and pasted over. So righteousness here, this first stream of definition, is one stream of integrity and purity and innocence, But then another stream that flows to the larger stream is this last idea. There is a large description of righteousness in the Old Testament being equaled to or in pair with justice. How you treat others. Not just who you are as a person. That's the first stream, integrity. But the second stream of righteousness has to do with justice and how you treat others, especially those 
who are in a weaker or less position than you. Most clearly, probably in Scripture, this is most clear in Jeremiah 31, 8 through 9. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. See those, those, those two words together, mishpat and zedekah. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. That's our second stream of Zedekiah. Righteousness not only defined by someone who walks with God in truth and in grace and in new life, but also somebody who is walking with God in seeking the good and the justice of others, loving not apathetic, just, not its opposite, wickedness, pure, not corrupt. That's our first two streams, but that is even not the whole story. There's a third stream, another running little tributary that helps us define this depth of the word righteousness. And that is a story that's told throughout the Old Testament of a righteousness that is longed for and lost. All the heroes of faith that we know in the Old Testament, those that we think about and the characters that we uphold and we put them on our children's uh, ministry walls and we talk about them week to week and we read about them in Scripture, each of those are close but often weak examples of the righteous one. Of course, this is all through Scripture. God extends His righteous covenant to Adam and Eve, and we know how that goes by chapter 3 of the Bible. He extends a covenant to Noah, and Noah is this righteous person in chapter 6, but by chapter 11, we've already found out that he has failed. He extends this covenant to David, and David kills and cheats He extends it again to Solomon, and Solomon ends his life in the worship of idols. On and on, the Old Testament tells this third tributary, this thread through Scripture of a people who have been called to be righteous, but yet cannot fulfill the righteous requirement. This again is summed up by one of the prophets. Isaiah 5 and 7b says this, speaking of God, And God, or he looked for justice, but saw or only found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but only heard cries of distress. I wish at times for myself and for all of us that we could hear this in the Hebrew. Because in the Hebrew, there's a play on words here. There's a rhyme. It reads in Hebrew that, and he looked for mishpat but only saw mishpach. He looked for mishpat, justice, but only found bloodshed, mishpach. He looked for righteousness, zedekah, but only heard cries, zedekah. I thought I would find and hear mishpat and zedekah, but all I found was a people offering bloodshed and injustice and cries because of your injustice. It's this passage, Isaiah 5, 7, is a passage that plainly proclaims by God saying, I 
I wanted you to be righteous, but you are left wanting. You are longing for that. And maybe even more clear for us, maybe you're not familiar with Isaiah 5, but we are familiar with Isaiah 9. Just several chapters later, you see this longing as Isaiah starts to prophesy about a coming king. And the passage says, to us a son is given. We know this from Advent and Christmas time, right? To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with what? Justice and righteousness. There's a coming king that we long for and hope for and wait for that will bring righteousness. The thing that we cannot seem to grasp. That's how the Old Testament wraps up. It's what the New Testament, when you turn the page toward, is longing for. And I think before we move on, we need to pause and say, can't we relate? In a world when we often take our eyes off of God, we can relate to this longing of the Old Testament people. Longing for a better way, living in a broken world where we say, when will this end? We live in this world of another school shooting this past week. We live in this world of diagnoses for cancer and difficulty and hardship, of corruption and war and justice at every turn. So you know this. You feel this. When we give our time to God just enough or we put away the phone or the TV long enough, you know this longing in your heart. And I think it's important to feel that longing this morning because that's the hope and that's the longing that opens up the New Testament. If you're ready for good news this morning, if you're ready for better news this morning, great news, then ready you will be to turn to Matthew. Matthew is fully aware of our longing and righteousness. When we turn the page from Old Testament and New Testament, Matthew, by chapter 3, shows us that the longing of the people can now be fulfilled. This is at Jesus' baptism. Look at how Matthew picks up on this theme of righteousness, longed for and lost in the Old Testament. And he tells us the story of Jesus' baptism, and it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Now there's all kinds of great imagery there. This is imagery of new creation. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. There's a, the Holy Spirit is hovering over creation like a dove, like a bird. And here at Jesus' baptism, well, I'm not talking about that today, but that's so good. That same thing happens. But what Jesus says here is he came to fulfill all righteousness. 
He came to be a person that is to fulfill it. Now you can meet, I, I don't, you can say, well, I don't know what that means. And maybe it says he came to fulfill the plan of salvation or he came to fulfill the gospel. And those would be adequate answers. But really what that means in this text by Matthew in his longing for a righteous one is that he is proclaiming that Jesus has come to faithfully carry out all that the Father has asked. That Jesus will perfectly and fully carry out everything that God has ever desired. He will be righteous, even to death. And it's in this word that we get life. Because the rest of Matthew's goal in pinning this good news, his gospel, is to display Jesus' fulfillment of righteousness. And while fulfilling it, he's also inviting us. He fulfills and invites us into a relationship where we can learn to produce that kind of righteousness as well. And I want to give you just two quick things today that we need to realign ourselves probably this morning and we need to work on and we need to humble ourselves and submit to God in order to receive if we're going to be righteous people. How do we find righteousness? Matthew's going to tell us, first of all, you've got to crave it and you've got to seek it. You've got to look for it. You've got to long for it. You've got to look for it in these places because he's going to say in places like Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when you crave it, when you go after it. And then in Matthew 6, 33, he's going to, in the same speech, the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you ever think you need will be added to you as well. To hunger in Greek, the word means to suffer want, to crave, to long, to yearn, to desire, to go after. Be a person that craves it and seeks righteousness. I tried to think this week, when's the hungriest I've ever been? And of course, I've grown up in the United States, so it's hard for me to think about that. I've lived a very blessed and charmed and privileged life. But I could think of one time when I was not just telling my mom I was starving, I really was actually famished. It was in 2006, I was in Mexico, and we had spent a little over nine hours digging by hand with pickaxes and a couple Maddoxes and a couple sharpshooter shovels, a water line 24 inches deep. It was our goal to make 3,600 yards, and that morning we made 200, and that's it. It was long. It was in a pasture where cattle had beat the ground down for years and years, hundreds of years. We were scared because there was wasps everywhere, millions of wasps trying to sting us. Anybody wearing a colored shirt got stung that day. I was lucky I was not. It was a crazy day. And all day long I had worked with two teenage boys, and they worked hard, and I worked hard, and the two peanut butter sandwiches and the bag of Lay's potato chips that I had brought at, for lunch had done little to make me feel satisfied. So we got done for the day, and we got on a van, and we drove about 30 minutes back to our campsite, and I was hungry. I could not wait for what we were going to eat that night. I didn't care what it was. If it was spam, if it was canned meat, I did not care 
tripe. I don't, I didn't care. Anybody ever had tripe? I don't recommend it. Uh, I didn't care. I was craving and seeking whatever food I could find. So when we got out of the van, I dragged myself out of the van and I went over and I sat down on a tree stump and I was just waiting for dinner. I didn't want to shower. I didn't want to get cleaned up. I was dirty. I didn't want to move. I especially was tired of teenagers talking to me. But that's when one of my teens came over, Caleb Risley, good friend of mine. And he came out of the kitchen area where we had this mess hall, and he walked over to me and he hands me a can of Coca-Cola. And I took that can of Coke, and just by providence or luck or whatever it was, that Coke can had been chilled to the perfect condition that when I opened it up, it was no longer liquid, nor was it solid. It had become a Coke slushy. And I will never forget that Coke slushy. It was unbelievable. I took my first drink, and it was like nectar of, of heaven was going through my body. It tasted so good and so right. And it hit not just the spot, it hit every spot. That's what God is revealing to us here in Matthew. We live in a world of false and hypocritical righteousness. A world that looks promising to go after, but it's, it's full of so much nutrition that is rotten on the inside. We live in a world that tells us to eat this and take that. Buy one more thing, seek after this, crave that, and you'll finally be satisfied. But there is only one place. Matthew is telling us, if you want to live a right life, there's only one place you'll find contentment. And it's in Jesus. So we've got to ask ourselves this morning, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? If you were to take an honest assessment today and say, what am I actually seeking in my life? Would it be the kingdom of the heavens? Would it be the righteousness of God? The second thing that Matthew shows us, and in other places throughout the New Testament, is that righteousness is not only something you have to crave, righteousness is something you must receive because you will never achieve. You'll never get there. If you're looking for your own righteousness, you will fail and fall over and over. Amen, church? Man, this is no more clear than in the book of Romans. And, and again, Brad and I didn't plan this. I know this is where you were at today, this morning. I wasn't even in your class this morning. So I was teaching fifth and sixth grade boys. So, But this morning, Brad talked about this. Romans 3.22. Romans 3.22 says this. It says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Now, if you have your Bible open and you've got a good version of the Bible, well, I shouldn't say they're all good, but if you have a, a, a good footnoted Bible, you should have a little footnote at the bottom of your scripture that says something like this, that there's another way to translate Romans 3.22. Another way to translate Romans 3.22 would be this. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew 
and Gentile. Now, why that's important is this, and why I think the second one is actually closer to what the gospel is describing is because what Paul is getting at this is that it is not us who save ourselves by our own faith. My faith doesn't have to be a certain measure in Jesus in order to save myself. My faith can be tiny in the faithfulness of Jesus, and he's enough. You see that? We often say, well, you just need to have more faith. No, you need to have more Jesus. Well, you just need to have more faith. No, you need to have more Jesus. It is his faithfulness. He is the one that lived it out. He is the righteous one. We cannot achieve it. We receive righteousness from Jesus because of what he has done, that he was faithful even to death. Hagen read it for us in our welcome, 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? He became sin on our behalf. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. I didn't do that. I didn't strive for that. I was gifted that. I received that. Now I'm going to tell you a preacher story, and it's going to sound like it's a preacher story, which is code word for hogwash. But, (laughs) right, this is actually a true preacher story. This was years ago, before there was an internet. It's about a minister. And this minister had a horrible habit, a horrible habit. He had collected over the years in secret. He was the only one that knew about it. Quite a collection of Playboy magazines. He'd hid it from his wife. Nobody knew about it. And he would hide them away in a crate in his attic in the apartment that they lived in. And while his wife was away on a trip or an errand, he would go up into the attic and he would pull out his magazines and he would look at their contents. Now, the preacher knew that this was wrong. He knew this was sinful, but it was part of his life habit anyway. One day, he brought him out while his wife was away on a shopping trip for several hours. He knew she would be gone. And he got his magazines out, and about several minutes into looking at their content, he became very frustrated and very, very convicted with himself that he needed to do something else. So he decided once and for all to throw the magazines away. He lived in an apartment complex, so he had to go downstairs taking armful after armful, bag after bag of these magazines, and throw them away in a dumpster down at the bottom of the stairs. A dumpster set just outside of his apartment, and it was a big dumpster with high sides on it. He threw every one of them away, and then he went back up into his apartment. Time ticked by slowly, and after a little bit, temptation got the better of him, and he decided he needed to go, and it wouldn't be any harm if he went back to the dumpster and just pulled out just a few of those magazines. So he returned to go get them, and in his haste and in his hurry, as he was reaching over the side from a high position, trying to reach down far into the dumpster, his foot slipped, and he fell into the bottom of the dumpster where he broke his right arm. The dumpster was empty except for his magazines. Now, here was a preacher at the bottom of this dumpster. 
needing to pull himself out with a broken right arm. And he couldn't get out. So he sat in his own filth that he had just put there and he didn't know what to do. So he hoped against all hope that somebody would pass by and maybe help him out so he could go to the ER and check out his arm. He knew it was broken. If you've ever seen a broken forearm, you know it's broke, right? Right? And he started to yell out, Help! Finally, somebody came over and peered over the side, and it was his wife. And there he was, busted. After years and years of hiding this all from the person he loved the most. That's a crazy story. It's a true story. And as I hear that story, you might be like me that you start to think, what a loser. What a hypocrite. Or you might be thinking, well, I'm glad he got caught. That's what he gets. And I had those thoughts when I heard that story for the first time. And then I reminded myself that I'm not righteous. That may be a dumpster minister, but I'm a dumpster person too. And in fact, when I think about the church, the church is a dumpster church. We're not here today by our own achievement. We're not here today because we've somehow climbed out of the dumpster our own of whatever sin that we've tried to get rid of in our life. We're here today because the ladder of God's grace which is the cross has reached down into our dumpster fire of our lives and has saved us. God found me and continues to find me at the bottom of a dumpster. And that's where he's going to find you as well. You and I are not righteous. In fact, this could be a whole other point. But it's not. But any time I've ever tried to live by my own right, you know where I've ended up? In the wrong. Because I'm usually mean or hateful. That's true for us. That theme continues into Matthew 23 when Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees. The reason he's given them those woes is because they're living by what they believe is right and they're actually all wrong. Because they're trying to receive righteousness on their own terms. We're not right. We've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. So here's what I hope you carry out of here today. If nothing else, if nothing else, I want you to think and know this. That this word, the way it brings life, if you want more righteousness in your life, you need to reverse your thinking. We often think that righteousness is a path of upward achievement, of ascent. If I could just do better, achieve more, be more like that person, act more like her, if I could just pray more, study more, and attend attend more church, whatever it is, then I'll be righteous. And all those goals can be good, but they're just often in the wrong direction. Because the path of righteousness is never upward, it's actually downward. It's the path of descent.
I can't receive righteousness unless I learn to get on my knees. I don't receive righteousness until I submit and become humble. Until I serve. Until I show forgiveness to the person I hate. Until I let go of the wrongs that have been done to me. See, righteousness is always not at the end of climbing upward. It's found as I descend to the end of me. And I hope you see that today. It's really a great way of why we teach baptism. Baptism is not an ascent into a holy place with Jesus. It's a descent saying, I can't do this. Baptism understood correctly is not a debate about who's in and who's out in church membership. Baptism is an essential and biblical step into receiving righteousness from Jesus. That's what baptism is. That's why you got to go low in baptism. It's a path of descent. You go downstairs. You go underwater. You're plunged into forgiveness and you're received the Holy Spirit, not by achievement, but by gift. Raised into new life, into Christ. And we want to invite you in that this morning. We are a dumpster fire of a church. Amen? We are. You may say, well, no, we do some good things. No, Jake, we're not that bad. Yes, we are. If all our sin was on display today, people would run screaming for the hills. But you know what? It is on display. But it's on display at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, when it's on display, we know that it's been paid for. And so we can celebrate that it's been paid for. And we can celebrate that we're here by grace today. If you need anything today, we're here for you. I promise you, Any step in humility today will be met with God's grace. Let's stand together and let's sing. Let the King of God be the mountain where we run. The mountain we run. Oh, he is my song.